Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Today's reading is from Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Marcus. As we come to our text this morning, we can be tempted to run to and depend on things that don't actually help in trial and difficulty. The first century Christians that would have been the recipients of this letter, we need to remember they were in the midst of trial and difficulty. They were uh, probably a small group of Jewish Christians who were being persecuted. And the author of Hebrews, as we've discovered so far in the book, has shared time and again an encouragement to press on in faith. Now, the author of Hebrews, uh, back in chapter three, encouraged fellowship and encouragement because there was the, the reality that the Christians could drift from their faith. So encourage them to encourage one another, to build one another up so they wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He encouraged them to be in the word of God, to value the word of God as we looked at last week because they could be tempted to doubt. We can be tempted to doubt and the word of God imparts life to us. It stirs up faith in us. It reveals the truth about God. And as we come to this passage this morning, there's certainly the temptation to depend on the wrong things. And in this passage, the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. That's the call of this passage. This morning, we're going to look at the mandate of holding fast our confession. We're going to look at the motivation to hold fast our confession, and we're going to look at the means by which we hold fast our confession. So to start with the mandate, to hold fast our confession of Jesus Christ. So it says right there, verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Holding fast, what you think it means, like don't let go of that confession. Hold firmly to your faith in Jesus. We made a commitment when we came to Christ that we confessed Christ. Romans 10 says, if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We made a confession. If you've not trusted in Jesus, the call there is for you as well to make that confession that Jesus is Lord. That's why we've been reciting the Apostles' Creed together 
on Sunday mornings regularly as we've been going through Hebrews because it reminds us of our confession. And we don't just hold firm to that confession in private. Certainly, we hold firm to that confession in this larger body. But there, we will also be called to, and we are called to hold firm to that confession when we are outside these walls, to hold firm to that confession when we are faced with unfriendly surroundings. There are times when holding fast to our confession that it's going to be hard. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Holding fast our confession is not easy. A young Christian woman once shared this to a colleague that she worked with. This colleague had belittled her because of her Christianity and said it was an escape from the difficulties of real life. That being a Christian was the easy route chosen by the weak. It was just an escape. This is how she replied. She said, an escape? You try to live as a Christian. You try to wage war against the desires of the flesh. You try to live as an alien in a strange land and then come and tell me that Christianity is the easy way. She was right. If you are looking for the the lazy man's detour through life, If you are looking to avoid serious challenges or to walk on well-worn paths, then Christianity is not for you. Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. As we've learned, as we've studied the book of Hebrews, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, let temptation and trial erode their confession of the Lord, even though they witnessed being delivered from Pharaoh, even though they witnessed plagues happening to the Egyptians, even though they received God's law given through Moses and they heard the message of the prophets, in all of that, they failed to hold fast. So the author of Hebrews is calling these Christians and we are being called by God to hold fast our confession. Do not abandon your confession in the face of trial and persecution. So that's the mandate. Hold fast to your confession. Well, how, how do we hold fast? What's going to motivate us to do it? Oftentimes we need a motivation when something's hard. I remember when my children were little and we would go to a particular dentist, the dentist that we went to, uh, they weren't particularly fired up. I don't know about you, but like, you know, going and sitting in a chair when you're a small child and have some strange person digging around in your mouth, it's just not like you're not fired up to do that. But the dentist that we went to, she was brilliant because as you walk in past the reception desk, there was a literal treasure chest. 
And they knew, our kids knew, if they went, even though it was kind of scary what was going to happen, they knew that they could get something out of the treasure chest. There was a motivation for them to go and to sit and to open their mouth and to get it taken care of because they, were, because they knew they were going to go to the treasure chest. And for us, we have a motivation that far exceeds anything that was in that treasure chest, I can assure you, for us, the motivation that we have is the high priestly ministry of Jesus. The motivation for us to hold fast is the high priestly ministry of Jesus because Jesus is the greater high priest. Look back at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now to understand, well, why is it a big deal that we have a greater high priest than Jesus? Why was the high priest such a big deal? Well, once a year, back in the Old Testament, when the people uh, before Christ to atone for their sins, the high priest would have to go into the place called the Holy of Holies. When they traveled around, they, they put up this tabernacle, this place where uh, sacrifices were made for sin, but annually the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. But before he would go make atonement for the sins of the people, he first had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. Because you can't enter the Holy of Holies where God would come and descend and have his presence and have imperfection on you. In fact, they were so serious about that and so concerned that if the high priest didn't fully cleanse himself before he went into the Holy of Holies, they put little bells around the robe that he wore and they tied a rope to him so they could hear when he's in the Holy of Holies if he's walking around offering that sacrifice because they knew if the bells stopped jingling, then he was dead. And they couldn't go in to get him, so they would drag him out if that, if that were to happen. That's how serious they took being in the presence of God. So the high priest would go. He'd sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. Then God's wrath would be turned away. But Jesus is the greater high priest. Because Jesus didn't come with just a sacrifice. He gave himself as the sacrifice. He gave himself as the sacrifice. He's the greater high priest because he does not have to offer many sacrifices. He doesn't have to come every year. He doesn't have to multiply, do it all the time. Hebrews, as we're going to learn in Hebrews 7, it says he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He offered up himself as a sacrifice. That's why he's the greater high priest. He's also the greater high priest because he does not enter a man-made holy of holies. He doesn't enter a place that was erected by the people of Israel, a place where God would come down to meet with his people. No, Jesus enters the very throne room of God because it says here in our passage, he was he who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. 
He wasn't just a man. He was the son of God. That's why he's the greater high priest. So we can hold fast because we have a greater high priest. And he's one we can depend on. We learn back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, we, we learn this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He became like us. Jesus understands us. And this thought continues and is restated by the author of Hebrews in verse 15, which we've read. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I need this reminder regularly. I can feel like there's a distance between me and Jesus. Jesus is perfect. I know my sinful life, the struggles that I have, the mistakes that I've made. I'm, I'm intimately aware of those. And I'm like, well, he didn't experience those. So there feels like this distant. But Jesus is not distant from our own experience. He's not aloof from our trials. He is intimately acquainted with our trials. He's not like some leader who may have grown up with lots of means and wealth, and you're like, that, that individual, that individual doesn't understand me, doesn't understand the low place that I've come from. Jesus is not like that. But I know, even as you've interacted, maybe even with your brothers and sisters in Christ, how many times have you said, you don't get it? Or maybe you've said, you've never experienced this. How can you understand what I'm going through? Jesus understands. He understands because he was tempted in every respect. It says, who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He's been tempted in every respect. Now, let me make a side note. Like, what? Temptation does not equal sin. I just want to make that clear. Just because you experience temptation doesn't mean that you're sinning. I can often fall into this trap of like, why am I experiencing this temptation? I can't believe it's still coming and tempting me this way. I thought I've grown up and moved beyond that. How come this keeps coming? If you're experiencing temptation, that's normal. It should be expected that you'll experience temptation because Jesus said the world's going to hate us because it hated him. The enemy does not want you to flourish. He would love to take you out at the knees, so we should expect temptation to come. Now, we can discern, well, what, what's temptation and what, what is giving into sin? I mean, here's kind of a, a, a good litmus test. Are you, uh, are you afflicted or being beat down, or do you feel like you're being captivated? That's how you can know the difference if you're just being tempted or giving in to sin. If you just kind of feel like, man, this is just hard. Well, well it's supposed to be. We just don't want our hearts to change and be like, oh, 
I love that. That's the thing that's really going to satisfy me. That's when we have to ask the question, Lord, is my heart, has my heart been seeking after things that aren't glorifying to you? But again, temptation isn't sin. But our hope is in the fact that the one who was tempted did not sin. The one who was tempted did not sin. He was perfect. Why does that make a difference for us? If he's perfect, how does he really understand? Because Jesus didn't experience the things I experience. I have a spouse, and that's tempting. Yeah, Jesus didn't experience specifically every scenario of our life. But at a heart level, he experienced temptation of every single thing that you experience, whether it's a temptation to pride or unbelief or impatience or unrighteous anger or foolishness or despair or fear. And the list goes on and on at the heart level, the things that are going on. Yes, the circumstances may be different, but the heart level temptations, they're the same. But he experienced those temptations at a greater level than even our experience because for him, the stakes were higher. C.S. Lewis explains this well. And when he says, he says, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. Jesus knew deep struggle. Jesus knew overwhelming pain to a degree that we can never know because he resisted and did not sin. No human has experienced the, that agony those of you who have walked with Christ for a number of years and you've experienced growth and victory in your life, you understand how that temptation still comes and comes. And as you resist that temptation, it almost seems to get stronger and stronger the longer that you resist it. Yet Jesus never gave in. Therefore, Jesus has the capacity like no one else to sympathize with your weakness. He does not simply know temptation in his mind. He has experienced that temptation. And he's not disinterested or unaware of what you're going through. 
consider how you feel temptation. He has felt it. You know the crushing weight that you experience when temptation comes. He has endured it. You know the pressure that comes that seems to exhaust you. He overcame it. Jesus took on flesh to understand and know and to be our substitute. Remember we read back in Hebrews 2.18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he suffered, he can help. He can help you in every situation in which you are tempted. So what motivates us to hold fast? The high priestly ministry of Jesus. He endured and you are now found in him. That's what motivates us. We look to Jesus, not to us, not to work something up in us. We look to Christ. So then what what enables us to hold fast? So we, we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hold fast our confession. We have the motivation, so we just kind of tuck that away, and it's just going to somehow just magically happen. Well, there's a means by which we get the grace that we need, the mercy that we need to endure the temptations, to walk through life. The means to hold fast is to draw near in prayer. We draw near in prayer. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then with confidence. There's a sense many of you maybe have memorized that particular verse or you've quoted that verse. Remember, that verse is anchored in the fact that Jesus has experienced every temptation and yet he didn't give in. He is the great high priest. That's what it's anchored in. It's anchored in Jesus Christ. And this throne of grace that we come to, that's the place where grace flows from. It's the place where mercy is received. It's the place where we get the strength that we need. So when we humble ourselves and trust in Christ, the place, the place that we go is the throne of grace. It kind of flips it on its head. That's the, that's the throne, the throne of God, the place where everyone should be like freaked out of their minds to go to, the place that you expect that you're going to get judgment. Why would I want to run to the throne of God when I find myself struggling with sin or discouragement? Why would I run there? We run there because that's the place, because of what Jesus has done, where mercy flows, where grace flows flows. Jesus made a way for us to draw near. Friends, we don't have to put bells on our clothes when we go into our prayer closet. We don't have to have someone tie a rope around our ankle when we go into our prayer closet because we're concerned that we aren't going to make it through our devotion time. No, we can come freely 
because of what Christ has done. You can come freely because of what Christ has done. We can draw near with confidence. That's what it says. Let us then with confidence draw near. We come based on Christ's work. That The root word with, with confidence has, uh, has this flavor of boldness. Come with boldness. Maybe you've even heard, come boldly before the throne. Whenever I hear that phrase, I just feel like I gotta work something up. I gotta come. I gotta come boldly. I gotta work it up. Kind of like, you know, what my coaches used to do before doing an athletic event. You know, they just get us all revved up. So we gotta come. We gotta come boldly. Yes, boldness does mean that you come into places where there's risk or danger. That's what boldness can be. Someone who's bold will come into a place where there's risk and danger and they won't be afraid. But we come not afraid, not because of our own strength or because we work ourselves up. We come confidently because there's nothing that hinders us anymore. We're unhindered to speak freely. We don't have anything that we need to hide anymore. There's a freedom that we experience in coming before the Lord that's, that's similar to, that kind of points back to what happened in the Garden of Eden before the fall. What did it say in Genesis 2.25? It says that they were naked and not ashamed. They weren't ashamed. When we look back last week, we were when it says no creature is hidden from his sight in verse 13 of chapter 4, all are naked and exposed. There's kind of this kind of sense of like oh, exposure, but there's this, this confidence that means there's a, a freedom to come. Not a shame in coming, but there's a freedom for us to come. But yet we struggle coming. We struggle with prayer. I can struggle with prayer. Why do we struggle with prayer? Sometimes we struggle with prayer because we are aware of our nakedness, like it says in verse 13. We feel shame. We're aware maybe of what we've done, and we feel the gaze of God, and we don't want to go. Maybe we even want to hide what it is that we're doing, and we don't want to come. But understand, the blood of Jesus has covered our sins, has washed it away. You can come. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, you can come. Sometimes we don't come because we're not aware of what Christ has done. Maybe even as we're singing the songs on a Sunday morning, we just kind of let them fly through our head. But no, we sing songs that are gospel rich so that when you leave here and you're driving in your car, or you're doing whatever at your house, those things will come back to you and you'll be reminded of what Christ has done. So you won't be hindered to go. Sometimes we don't go to prayer because it's boring. It is. We, we don't know how to engage with God sometimes because we've not seen it or we don't know what to do when we go there. It's, we talk about prayer. What does that look like? If you're like, I don't know what to do, I'd encourage you to pray with 
others. Like, what do you mean? Like, I struggle with prayer already. You want me to, want me to pray with other people? What are you, nuts? It's hard enough when, when you ask us to pray on Sunday morning and I'm looking forward and I know there's other people behind me looking at me while I'm trying to pray. No one is looking at you. They're all feeling the same way. They're looking down. They're hoping no one notices. But I'd encourage you to pray with others. I first learned how to pray because I prayed with others. I went to a Wednesday night prayer meeting at 8 o'clock at a campus ministry on my college campus. And I went because I love being with people. When I got there, to be honest, I was scared out of my mind because there was only like three or four people at the prayer meeting and me. And you know how I prayed those first two or three meetings? My prayer sounded just like this. I didn't pray anything. In fact, my prayer time kind of looked like this. I'd hear people praying and then I'd have one eye open. What are they doing? Who's praying? I heard that person pray. Which one was it? I, I didn't know. What to, I was scared out of my mind to say anything. What happens if I say the wrong thing before God? What happens if they think I'm an idiot? I may just confirm something that's already true. Friends, we can come with confidence because of what Christ has done. Let's, let's gather together and pray. That's why we're going to gather next Sunday night here in this room to pray so that we can have a fresh encounter with God and seek his face together. And if you're not used to praying or comfortable praying, come. Come and, and pray to yourself. Pray to the Lord in silence. That's fine. And learn and just listen. Come on Sunday mornings at 8.30. A miracle actually happened this morning. We, we had four teenagers come this morning to the prayer meeting on Daylight Saving Sunday. Just the fact that they showed up showed that God was moving. <laughs> Why did they come? Because they want to see God work in our church. I, were they into, I don't know. I didn't talk to them. I bet they were intimidated. There's a number of older guys there, and I'm sure it's like intimidating. Well, they know what to pray. They pray so good. No, we just, let's, let's come together. Sometimes we don't pray, friends, because we're not getting what we want. I'm not getting what I want. That must mean God's not listening. God must not be listening because I've asked for this thing and he just won't give it to me. Maybe I'm not getting it because I don't ask with enough energy or fervor. Maybe the answer that God brings is going to give him the most glory. Maybe we need to come and seek his face and not just his hand of blessing. Not that we won't ask. I mean, certainly we will ask. Today we ask for God to move in life plan. Certainly we're going to ask God to, to do things that will bring him glory. But let's approach the throne of grace. Because what do we get at the throne of grace? Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy and grace. 
we draw near to receive mercy in our time of need. When you're aware of your deficiencies and your mistakes and your struggles, when you're ready to just give up on life, give up on the hard things that are going on, you need mercy. Forgiveness for your sins or your failings. To be aware of the favor that you have received that you didn't deserve. We need that. Adam and Eve, when they realized that they were naked, they ran from God. For us, when we realize we're naked, we run to God because of what Christ has done. Because our God mercifully clothed them and promised that he would send his son to come and crush the head of the serpent. And God abundantly pours out his mercy because of his son's sacrifice on our behalf. Mercy is offered to all who will receive it. If you've never trusted in Christ, mercy is available to you. You don't need to get yourself all cleaned up before you come. In fact, you can come because of what Christ has done. You come because you are a mess. You come and you confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Today could be that day for you. You can experience that cleansing power of the blood of Jesus simply by coming because it's available to you. It seems too good to be true, but it is true. In our weakness is when we can approach the throne of grace. For all of us, we receive mercy, and we also draw near to find grace in our time of need. Unmerited favor in our time of need. The empowering grace that we need when temptation comes and it comes at us hard. It comes at us from this side. It comes at from that side. It seems like sometimes it's crushing us down. Sometimes it's the, the discouragement of the day tempting us to unbelief. One author said, God has tailor-made grace for everything that we face. He's tailor-made grace for everything that we face. So when we need grace to endure the trials we are facing, grace is available for that specific trial. When we need grace to bear the fruit of God's Spirit, there is grace for you to bear the fruit of God's Spirit. There's grace for you to do that thing that God is calling you to do in your life, whether that's a big step that you're making at a crucial point in your life or it's sharing the gospel with your friends or your family. There's grace available for that. And there's also grace available to us just to simply long for God's glory to not just be going to God like he's some vending machine, but to wait, stop and go, you know, Lord, no, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. God, I want that kind of heart. I don't want just the heart that's just constantly asking for stuff. No, I want you, God. How are we going to have our hearts change to just be Godward like that? Well, there's grace for that. that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In James 4, 6, we learn that grace is always available. More grace. It's not like God, like, it runs out. Oh, you know what? Sorry. I gave out all the grace today. As much grace as you need, there's more grace to be there, poured out on you. 
God gives his empowering grace to do that which brings him most glory. So friends, the things that may may bring God most glory may not be that he removes the suffering or trial that we're experiencing. It may be the grace that we need to persevere through that trial. We might be facing a demotion rather than a promotion. And maybe the grace that we need is the humility and thankfulness that will come from us that's not natural to us, that will come to God as a fragrant offering that brings God glory. Maybe it's going to be grace so that we can have less so that others can have more. What I know is that grace is abundant. And I know that that we can come with confidence We can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, if we don't come, if we don't pray, we are are robbing ourselves of mercy and grace. I don't want to be up here and say, well, if you're not praying, you should feel horrible. I say, friends, there's grace and mercy available to you if you'd simply come to his throne. So let let us hold fast our confession. Let us not shrink from God's presence, but draw near. I want to close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon who said this, and I think it was fitting not only on the day when he said it, but today. He said, I could not say to you, pray, not even to you saints, unless it were a throne of grace. Much less could I talk of prayer to you sinners. But now I will say this to every sinner here, though he should think himself to be the worst sinner that ever lived, cry unto the Lord and seek him while he may be found. A throne of grace is a place fitted for you. Go to your knees. By simple faith, go to your Savior, for he, he it is, who is the throne of grace. So we're going to go to the throne of grace right now. We're going to take some time to go to the throne of grace, right where you're seated. This is not a time like earlier where we're going to be interceding for a particular thing. We're going to be asked, no, this is a time for you and you alone to go to the throne of grace. So the worship team, they're going to just play some quiet music and leave your Bible open to these verses see the promises that are there, maybe as you go, you're going to go with gratefulness because of what Christ has done. Maybe you're going to start with with just being in awe of what Christ has done and that he's our great high priest. Maybe you're going to go because you've felt some conviction from 
sin or maybe you're going to go because you just kind of feel beaten down and you need mercy. Well, come and receive mercy right now. Maybe maybe you don't feel like you have the strength to do something God's calling you to do or what's in front of you just seems overwhelming. Well, there's grace to help in time of need. So let's bow our heads. It's not a time for us to look around or be worried about what other people are doing. We're not praying with other people. This is a time for you to go. You can go and stand alone because of what Christ has done. So let's just go to the throne of grace right now where you're at. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.